Welcome back to another exciting episode of Aaron's Opinion, the podcast for blind people where we talk about critical issues in the blindness community. I'm Aaron Richmond. Welcome. By the way, this episode of Aaron's Opinion, just like all others, is copywritten by me, Aaron Richmond, and Aaron's Opinion. Thank you. This podcast can be heard almost everywhere you get a podcast, from Apple to Spotify to YouTube, you name it, we're probably there. And if you have any questions about where you can listen, please reach out to me and let me know. All right. Also consider um, supporting my podcast on Patreon. Don't forget to give me a follow uh, and send me messages on, on my Facebook page, Twitter, and you can always comment below right here on YouTube. You guys really like these YouTube videos. All right. Earlier today, if you're following the videos, we were speaking with a man all the way from Netherlands, the Netherlands. Well, today we're speaking with someone all the way from Texas, Houston, to be precise. Uh, Ron Graham joins us. He is the uh, founder, director of Haven, as it's pronounced, Houston Area Visually Impaired Network. How are you? Welcome to Aaron's Opinion. Howdy. Thank you, Aaron. Um, I'm good. It's a beautiful fall evening here in Texas. It's starting to cool off. So um, we're, we're ready for it. <laughs> so. so how did one of the questions that I asked to get a podcast going is, so tell our listeners, you know, your blindness story, how you became blind. You were telling me a moment ago, it sounds interesting. I've heard everything from I was hit over the head with a brick to I flicked a thumbtack in my eye to bitten by a mosquito. I've heard there's a lot of ways you can lose vision. How did you? Tell well, us. I, I've avoided bricks, mosquitoes, and thumbtacks, so I guess I'm okay. But um, I had a car accident. Uh, I was a captain with the Texas prison system. Oh. And um, on my way up to a, I, I was on track to reach my career goals of being warden one day. I had 13 years in the system and one fateful night leaving Lubbock, Texas, I flipped a car at about 110 miles an hour. Oh, la, la. And no seatbelt on. I was thrown from the car. Uh, it flipped eight or nine times. I hit my head somewhere on, on the way out of the car. And I was blessed because no brain injury, no spinal cord injury, and I wasn't crushed by the car. Um, I was in a coma for two months. I awoke then and... I saw that day what I see today, and that's basically a maroon image. It's just a mental image because when I close my eyes, it's still there. It's still maroon, and I've seen, so I know what maroon looks like. Um, you know, so several months of adjustment, uh, physical rehab for the physical injuries, and a couple, well, about, gosh, six weeks at the State Blind Rehab Center, and I was able to start putting the pieces of my life back together again. That's the nutshell. I have something very, very, very interesting to say about this. Have you been um, you know, a subscriber of my podcast for a long time, or is this like the first time you've ever heard of some guy named Aaron Richmond with an I, opinion? I'm new to it, but I'll be, I'll, I'll be following you regularly. I, I appreciate that, sir. Thank you and for that. The, reason, the reason, I, reason I ask and reason I say that 
is last fall, I interviewed someone who is blind today, but he was a retired prison guard himself. Really? Um, in the, I'll send you, you're going to love it. Okay. Um, two action-packed episodes. Anyway, the, the, <laughs> the, the, some of the stories he told, I'm, I'm not going to lie. That was the point where I marked my podcast as explicit and adults only. Because some of those prison <laughs> stories, that, there's, there's some characters that you meet when you, when you work in a prison. You meet some, you meet some characters along it's the a, to, it's to a put world it, within its own. Yeah. Well, it anyway, really he was saying, and you would, you would understand this story and you would, you would relate to it. So I forget how he lost his vision. He had some sort of a medical reasoning, you know. And he loses his vision to a point where he comes into the office, I guess, and says to probably a you, like a warden type of person. Okay, you know, warden, I can't work um, anymore. I need to retire because of my vision loss. Well, a week later or something, he describes it. He gets a phone call from two of his other buddies who also are COs at the prison. Yeah, they said, yeah, um, you know, so-and-so just got stabbed by this inmate and two of our guards have been stabbed in critical condition in the hospital. To make a, don't worry, both the guards survived and went, went back to working at that particular jail prison. Okay. When, when this guy who I was talking to, when he thought back to it, it occurred to him that those two guards worked the exact block that he worked and were on the floor at exactly the same time as he was. What so a he made, thing. he yeah. made the connection. If he hadn't lost his vision, he would have been stabbed for sure. Yeah. And, you know, and he's, he feels horrible for those other two friends of his. They survived. They're fine. But, you know, sometimes God help, helps us out in, in a yep. lot of little ways. And, and that's, that's clearly what that is. Yeah. Well, um, it's a very, very, two of those episodes are fascinating. So, okay. Now, so what do you do now? Um, and I, I guess I would have to ask, um, are there any totally blind uh, wardens working uh, in the United States? Just out of curiosity. Not that I'm aware of. Um, it's a, a lot of the, um, oh, what's the right word? A lot of the points in the job description are, those requiring sight. And there were, um, this, this happened in October of 1993, oh. shortly after the ADA came into effect. And I was aware of the ADA when this happened um, because as, as it came into law and we had to understand it as supervisors, we had briefings from the human resources office on what constituted a disability and uh, also understood that I could not be fired for my disability. So while I was in blind rehab, uh, I went to the Chris Cole Center in Austin and part of my VR um, portion there, I was on the phone steadily talking to Huntsville, which is the headquarters for the Texas prison system. I was talking to the ADA coordinator there, trying to work through a non-security job. And it finally got to the point where I thought, you know, you're just learning to live your life as a blind man. You, you're just learning the tools, the skills, and just beginning to get the confidence. 
but you're fighting to keep this job that it was the only job I'd had since three months out of high school. So I, I thought, you know, I, I had advice from a warden who had told me, you know, just take your medical retirement, back up, regroup, and figure out where you need to go from here. And that was some of the best advice I've been given. Um, so I did. And, you know, that was the smartest thing I had to do. At that time, retiring, you know, letting go of the only job I knew. And I knew I was good. I was a captain. I was, you know, at, on my unit, there were three people who outranked me, the major, the assistant warden, and the warden. That's how close I was to achieving my career goal. And I was well on my way. But letting go of that, that was tough. That was the toughest thing I had to face at the time. Um, aside from realizing, hey, I'm blind now. Um, I've got to learn to do things all over. But mentally, uh, that was the most challenging thing I'd ever faced was letting go of my safety net. Sure. So. Sure. De definitely. Yeah. That. Yeah. Your story. Yeah. A lot of the things you've been saying remind me of this other per very similar story. Yeah. Yeah. And people. And he, this other person, just like you, had to retire very quickly and had and had to just move on and 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 adjust. And I think that one of the lessons in about being blind is well, I'll, I'll tell you for one that I've been blind my whole life. You know, I was I was born blind. So mm -hmm. I tell everyone on my podcast that this concept of you know, adjusting to vision loss, it's philosophically, I mean, intellectually, I understand, but philosophically, I cannot possibly imagine what that must be like. I mean, it must be bizarre to be a sighted person, you know, working, thinking, okay, someday I'm doing really well at work, I'm going to be the warden, and then have to suddenly just not do that anymore. That just must be really strange. Oh, I, I've used the analogy of play, life being a game of chess. Right. Then one day somebody just wiped the board clean and said, now put all the pieces back on. And that's what right. you're doing. You're, you're putting every piece back on the board, starting all over again. But you have the backstory of knowing what you know already. Um, one of the common things I've said about having had visual memory, that's one of the greatest tools in my toolbox. You know, if uh, someone says, well, it's a, he was driving a 68 Fastback Mustang, I picture it immediately. You know, and, you know, not that one's better than the other. I, I, I think losing my sight suddenly had its advantages. If, if I'm going to lose my sight, if I'm going to become blind, I think it's, it would be torturous to lose it gradually over time. Um, and I think the adaptability of someone who's congenitally blind, um, you know, you've, you, you, you've built a lot to be where you are in life. And you put your pieces in place from the beginning and, um, you know, at a at a disadvantage from the other kids but you do what you need to do to survive and that's what i found out i had to do just as well you you adapt and you overcome 
Oh, precisely. But what I'm saying is I, I, I agree with you philosophically that it must be significantly more difficult to have to reset your chessboard as an adult. <laughs> yeah. Because, you um, know, w with, with the way that I grew up, I grew up with, you know, you know, overly strict parents, you know, supportive, supportive family, overly strict parents who said, this is, this is the way the world works. Mm -hmm. And, and life's, you're right. Life's not fair. You know, in my, in my day job, I was, I, I teach English as a second language online. And okay. once a student said something very interesting to me, he was, he, he's a doctor. And I was telling him about my blindness and it's a bit of a long story. I have other, other health problems that are under control. He said something very, very important statement. He said, Aaron, the important thing to remember in life is that every person on the planet has ability and every mm -hmm. person on the planet has a disability. Mm -hmm. So if you ever think that someone else, you know, is leading a perfect life, well, they're just a liar. What it is, is they aren't telling you about the challenges they're having. They aren't telling you about the disability that they have to overcome. So everybody has ability. Everybody has disability. And life, for the most part, is unfair for everybody, because that's why life is interesting. And that's the, that's my philosophy about it, I guess. That's, yeah how I understand. I don't know. What do you think of that? I, I think we all have dependencies. Um, I'm, I'm married. I've been married for over 21 years to my wife, Mindy, uh, who I met after I had my accident. Uh, she sighted and we have an 18 year old son, Austin, who sighted. Wonderful. And you know, we live in Houston. Uh, we're prone to hurricanes, and when we had a hurricane, I believe it was Ike, and the power went out, guess what? The light-dependent people were crippled. I, had, I knew where the flashlight was. <laughs> uh, I took my son by the hand. He was very young at the time. I said, come with me, because he was a young boy and liked to play with flashlights until the battery ran out. Uh, I had one good flashlight tucked up in my closet on the top shelf. So I took him by the hand from the back room. I brought him into my study and I said, here, turned on the light. He says, wow, you get around in the dark really good. I said, that's what I do. So we all have our dependencies. <laughs> um, you know, you take away light from a sighted person and um, there you just knock their feet out from under them. So yeah. I, and on top of that, I, I, I think we all have different needs um, and some are not as visible as ours are, um, but they're there. You're right. Um, I have diverged. You're asking what I did after that and how I got to where I'm at or what I do today. Um, I've taken you off a rabbit trail here. I think, I think we both, I think we both diverged ourselves. I think. <laughs> we, bo we both got a little, we both got all, all, all off the path there a little bit, but that's the beauty of podcasting is we have these really fascinating, fascinating conversations together. Yeah. Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you, I'm single 29 years old. I live with my parents and my brother and um, okay. yeah, it's, it's very, it's very interesting. Well, let me ask you this. Sure. I, I'm going to stop. I'm going to take you off the rabbit trail again. Um, you have a very good speaking voice. Have Thank you, you practiced that? Have you trained for that or is that just natural? 
No. So the answer is no. Thank you. I appreciate that. I thank you for the bottom of my heart. Um, I'm someone who's loved to talk to people. I love sitting here and talk, 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 talk. And for the past five years, I've been doing it at work and my job all day, practicing my speaking, practicing my delivery, talk, talk, talk. And then about a year ago, I got into the podcasting and kept talking, talking, talking. And very recently, I've gotten into the YouTube, done a little bit of the voice acting, done a little bit with stuff, stuff like that. I just love using my voice to tell stories. So I, I appreciate it. Well, when, when you send me a voice message on Messenger, I listen to you speaking. And I, you really, your voice really made an impression. I said, yeah, so I'd like to be on his podcast. That's this is someone I'd like to listen to. So I, um, your, your voice makes an impression. And that's just honest feedback. I'm not sucking up to you as the host. I'm telling you honestly. Well, that's that is I'm not I'm I don't I don't suck up to I don't suck up to my guests I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate that and the, but that's an interesting comment to make nobody has said that my voice has has motivated them to come on my show well quite frankly that's why I send the audio messages because I want to have a real conversation well keep, and I, keep doing it it's effective <laughs> Well, I'll keep doing it then. All right. All right. Okay. Well, well, what about, what about this? What about this Haven idea? Let's, let's get right. into that a bit. Let, so one of the biggest things I found out, I, I was 31 when I became blind and after blind rehab, what I found was I felt like the Lone Ranger. I felt like I was having to reinvent the wheel and figure out what all my resources were and, the information that was out there. And remember, this was in the, you know, that happened in 93. So the internet was still in its infancy. Um, and just to put it in perspective, okay, I was in the hospital after coming out of the coma. I was in the hospital for six weeks. Uh, after that, the warden secretary came by and she says, Captain Graham, um, I'm training my staff on this new technology called email. Okay, so that was in the, that was in about December of 1993. So that was when email was still brand new. So um, I, I'm, I'm an old dude. <laughs> I'm 58 now. Um, but, you know, but when I finished blind rehab, I got home and I'm like, well, they taught me this cool skills and all that, but what do I do? And I was back home with my mom and dad and I've, moved out of there when I was 18 and here I was, I needed to figure out how to put things to use, how to find resources. And I promised myself I would be there for other people so they don't feel so helpless. And 11 years ago, last month, I started a support group for visually impaired people in my part of Houston. I live in on the Northeast side of Houston in a, suburb called Kingwood. And when I did, one of my group members contacted another lady she knew who ran a support group on the southwest side of Houston, which is about an hour and a half drive away. She says, do you know of any other support groups in the area? Well, I knew of one and she knew of two others. So she said, wouldn't it be great if we could all get together and we can't come to each other's meetings, but maybe we could get together and plan something to do something to bring our groups together at least once a year. 
And that is how Haven got started. Um, we met at a low vision day sponsored by one of our founding groups. Um, there were five of us there and just support groups for the blind were just volunteers trying to share with people so they don't feel that like that lone ranger adjusting to vision loss. So people around us uh, who are visually impaired or blind can find like-minded people with similar needs, with resources and information that they need. And so we just got together and said, hey, let's do this. And one of our founding members contacted a professor she knew at the University of Houston and we got to talking and he says, you know, we would like to host your event whenever you do this. So we've mapped it out. We had our first Inside Expo and that was 10 years ago. Um, and that's what we called it, the Insight Expo. We said, we'll do this once a year and just to bring our groups together. And that was our initial agenda to plan this. And we did this regularly. Um, along the way, we've added a few groups. We've dropped a few groups. We've added, and, and to me, I think this is really interesting. Um, instead of just support groups, we added, we, we added a representative from the Houston Council of the Blind and the NFB of Texas Houston chapter, as well as the Foundation Fighting Blindness, we have eight organizations that make us up. And each one of us brings news about our organization or group to the others, and also shares from the others to our groups. So there's a two-way flow of information, but we still plan our Inside Expo and we, we have, workshops, we have speakers, uh, we have exhibitors. And the way we planned our exhibitors was, if I were dealing with vision loss just on set, who would I want to see here? And we've had usually 25 to 30 exhibitors, anyone from the state agency providing uh, visually impaired assistance to the um, talking book library, to the different tech distributors, um, Anyone who serves a visually impaired community, we've invited them. We've had them there, the Metro lifts, our paratransit service. Uh, anyone providing assistance to the blind, we've had as exhibitors. Um, but then COVID hit this year, two weeks before Inside Expo. And we figured out, well, Houston's shutting down. We're not going to have our event. And we backed off. and. We're, we're workers, we like giving back, we like doing things for our community. And we shifted gears and said, hey, we're talking on Zoom right now. So we started planning out what would we do if we just had one workshop and we did it for two hours on a Saturday. So that's how we started doing some bi-weekly workshops on Zoom. And our next one is actually scheduled tomorrow evening. I'm, we're on Central Time. Uh, we're having Audible Entertainment and You. We're having we're we're discussing um, Audible, well, audio books, different varieties. We're talking about some of the different 
streaming devices. We're talking about some of the streaming services and getting the described audio um, media on there um, from, you know, be it Netflix or Apple TV or Roku. Um, so, but that's just this week. We've had previous workshops on cooking with the Instant Pot and an air fryer. We've um, had grooming during COVID. Um, you know, just different things, trying to find what people want and filling that niche. You know, we're stuck at home. Let's do something. Let's bring people together. And the beauty of Zoom is it takes away the borders. It takes away the distance anyone needs to travel to come to Houston. Um, we have some regular attendees coming from Canada. Uh, we have people from across Texas, not just here in Houston. Uh, we have some listeners um, attending from other states as well. Uh, one regular one from North Carolina, um, uh, one from New York or two from New York. So we, we have, that's the beauty of Zoom that we can reach out. And our motto is bringing unity to our community. And that's what we're still doing with our workshops. So I'll take a breath and let you think about what all I've thrown at you. It sounds great. Um, <clears throat> I'll, I'll see, you know, I'll, yeah, I mean, all, all sounds great. Um, glad to hear that all those different organizations um, are, are working to support you. I mean, the only, I guess the only, the only question that I would have or the only constructive feedback that I would have is if you don't mind me asking, sure. um, why do you uh, now by by saying this, I'm not I'm not inciting that there, I'm not trying to say that there's anything bad with this. I'm just saying, uh, why do you work with the foundation fighting blindness? Um, because most of their a lot of their membership here are visually impaired as well. Okay. And um, their president and vice president are, bo are both, um, they, they've been coming, that, that's how we got to know them. They were regular exhibitors at our event. They want people to know who they are and uh, what they represent, but they're visually impaired themselves. And um, just as we have a message, they have a message and they've joined with us. And, you know, as Helen Keller said so well, alone we can do so little together we can do so much so um you know i you know we are a non-profit organization now that's just one of the uh developments that's happened along the way um we we have a representative from each group that's a member of our board and i think it's beautiful to see a group where you have so many organizations joining forces to work cohesively, especially when I, when I, I remember going to the state rehab, um, the state rehab um, school, uh, the Chris Agency, Cole Center. Agency or, or center, I guess. Right. Yeah. When, when I was at the rehab center for the blind, um, I that was my introduction to what the NFB and ACB were. And I was 
told that they were often at odds. And I thought, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I've met some individuals along the way um, who have fulfilled that, but a lot of them are just people like you and I um, in their respective organizations. But what I think is beautiful for us is we all work together providing one um, good program as one. And, you know, I don't know, I, I've looked around, I, I, I can't think of other cities, metropolitan areas where they work together actively to do that. And so again, I just think that's a neat aspect of what we do, but this could be replicated in any larger metropolitan area where you're spread out over a large area. Sure. Right. Good. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting to study that the different um, organizations um, do, do, com do compete and there have been some, um, how do I put this? Nicely. <laughs> there have been some um, some some in some in you know there's been some there's been some interesting history along along the way yes. um, with with all of the, with all of these organizations and all of them help um, and all of them are great it's just it's 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 interesting to study uh, to study that yeah okay well good good um, <clears throat> so uh, specifically what when you volunteer with this organization specifically what, what are you doing how do you use your skills to help them well one of the things i did after becoming blind was i went back to college uh, i've got my i finished my degree in criminal justice i've earned my bachelor's in behavior psychology my master's in clinical psychology um and i'm a good mediator a good um, counselor, a good listener, and I, I, I'm the president of Haven. I, I took the role by default. Um, no one wanted to actually step up and be the president. I said, well, I'll do that. We need a president. Um, so I, and I grew into the role, and we have regular planning calls. Um, part of what I do is keep everyone on task. I coordinate the meetings. I, you know, we, we facilitate the meetings on a rotating basis. Um, but a lot, a lot of what I do is work with a good team. And, you know, sometimes I, they, they seek my guidance. Sometimes I've been the one who has to intervene when, um, a couple of people don't necessarily see the same way. And sometimes I'm the one who has to make the decision for them. Uh, sometimes I have to do the counseling to bring people to the table. Um, but we're, we're don't, don't get me wrong. We are a good group where I've got a great team around me. Um, without them, I'd be, it, it'd be me. And that's, I'd be back to square one, starting with a whole new chessboard. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of what I do, um, I'm also the webmaster. We have a website, haventx.org. That's H-A-V-I-N-T-X dot O-R-G. Um, 
that's something I took on because I thought we needed a website. And I learned to use WordPress with JAWS. And, um, you know, I'm proud of the web page we have. I think it's the website um, is good. I think uh, there's always room for improvement. So if anyone has any um, feedback on that, um, our email there, it's h-a-v-i-n dot t-x haven dot t-x at gmail um let me know if you look over our website let me know uh any constructive feedback i'd love to hear it sure sure so good <clears throat> okay well what has been as the president of haven what has been your greatest greatest accomplishment so far uh boy um i th i think one of the greatest accomplishments that we've had as haven was actually becoming a nonprofit. uh that was a lot of work um we did it ourselves we had the guidance of a cpa who um helped us out at no cost just looking over our work she gave us guidance but opening the door becoming that nonprofit organization has opened the door to us receiving some more support than we had previously been able to access. Um, even our website is hosted at no cost because of our nonprofit status, a 501 C three status. Um, you know, that's one of the greatest achievements that we've accomplished for maintaining the group. Um, I think, you know, to go back, our first Inside Expo was probably, you know, just getting it started was the beautiful part. I'm so much hard work. We had no template to go by then. We were, we, we were starting from scratch and figuring this out as we went. And that first Inside Expo was, that definite eureka moment when we realized we did it. And, you know, uh, lots of pats on the back, but it was well-earned. Um, you know, it's something that not only that we take pride in doing it, we have many people who are regularly in contact saying, when is the next Inside Expo? We can't wait. And that's from the attendees to presenters to exhibitors, they, everyone involved had a good experience with that, which um, is high, you know, the best praise we can ask for. Wonderful, so good. So yeah, exactly how do companies become nonprofit, you know, 501c3, what, what are the, like, how does that work exactly? Well, the first thing is you have to be approved at your state level as a nonprofit organization filing with the Secretary of State office, or it is here in Texas, I'll put it that way. Uh, and I'm sure every state has a little nuance of the law that they, they have to follow for to become a nonprofit organization in your state. Once you do that and you're approved by your state, you go through the process of going to the IRS and asking them for approval as a 501c3. And there are certain criteria they ask for. You have to 
you have to discuss your mission statement, your, um, oh gosh, your vision, your, um, you know, you, you have to know how you're going to be structured if you're going to be, have any employees and we don't, we, we're all volunteers when no one gets paid for what we do. Um, but, you know, that's questions you get asked by the IRS. They need to know. And, but once you get approved, that's, um, you know, the status that you want because you get your IEN number that you can use with the 501c3 status. Um, you, you can actually apply and get your IEN number already, but once you're approved for the 501c3, that's the magic part uh, where you get donations, um, where people are wanting to write off their donations um, for tax purposes. And, you know, and that's all we had to do was show our 501c3 approval to, to our uh to DreamHost, I'll give them a plug there because I think it's great. They do this for any nonprofit organization. So, okay. you know, so, so many things happen because you become a nonprofit. And I didn't realize just what all it would do at the time. I just knew it was hard work. Great, yeah. Yeah, some people I know in the, in the blindness community, they want to start nonprofits. And I, mm -hmm. I, I was just wondering, like, what, so, I mean, I, I understand what it is, but I've always wondered, you know, yeah. what, what exactly do you have to do? And you explained it, you have to apply, basically. Yeah. yeah. And if I were starting to look into that as an organization, I would first, I, I would just Google the terms, um, you know, but, you know, beginning or founding nonprofit organization and put in your state. Find out your state regulations because that's the key. It starts at the state level. Once you have that approval at the state level, then you can go to the IRS and apply for your 501c3 status. But also, um, you know, you're going to have questions you'll need to be addressing there as well. Right. So, um, to maintain that, we do file a regular annual, um, basically a postcard with them. Now it's an electronic postcard um, with the IRS on our income, which is not great, but we, you know, um, you know, we we pay expenses. We have expenses we, you know, that we have to pay. We, but we also receive donations as well. So. And I have asked you a lot of questions. You've given a lot um, of great of great information. So since this is the first time uh, you're on my show, and certainly not the last, you're always welcome here. After we finish this recording, I'm going to publish this a little bit later, and then I'm going to add you to my WhatsApp group, which I hope you will join and introduce yourself because you're always welcome in my private WhatsApp group for Aaron's opinion. But um, what are what are the questions you have for me? I love letting guests ask me some some interesting questions. Well, as I'm new to you, you're new to me. Um, tell tell me some background on your uh, podcast and uh, your background in um, recording. Well, um, about a year ago, I was listening to podcasts uh, for blind people, you know, podcasts geared towards 
blind audiences. And <clears throat> I just got the feeling that those other podcasts, although very good, and although I do listen to them to this very day and always will, I had the feeling that they just were not open enough. You know, I was never able to really go on to other people's podcasts and voice my opinions about certain important things that, well, are important to me or hopefully important to, to you or other people. So, you know, I'm, I'm someone who loves to educate people. I love to talk. I love to complain. I love to, you know, have interesting conversations. I thought, well, since I have so many things to say, and since, you know, I'm used to using my voice every day to educate the world, why don't I set up a podcast where I can talk to myself and see how it goes? And so for about, you know, six months, I was talking to myself, doing monologues and all that on different issues of the day. And what I did is I would go around to the different blind and visually impaired support groups on, on Facebook, right? And read a question and then say, today, you wanted to know out there, you wanted to know, should I adopt a pet dog or something like that? And then I would go through and say, okay, today we're going to talk about the issue of pets for blind people. And I would just talk to myself for 30 minutes, going through the pros and the cons and my opinions and, and all of that. And then slowly but surely those guests um, or those people who were asking questions discovered that their questions were getting answered. Then they mm -hmm. became guests. Then it started to build up. Then I got into iTunes and I got into YouTube. Then I got into Zoom, you know, push the record button, you know, wham, bam, Bob's your uncle. You got a podcast. Well, do you use any audio editing equipment? I do not for the reason that I want it to be a very direct and real conversation so that people around the world know that when they talk to me, it's a real conversation. We're just going to have a relaxed conversation that's really interesting and hopefully helps one person is my, is my goal. Mm -hmm. uh, that's an admirable goal. Thank you. So, um, I'm going to take you on one more little rabbit trail. You asked about my, you know, the, my proudest accomplishment for Haven. I'm going to take you, you know, this all started because I started my support group here in Kingwood and it's the visually impaired people of Southeast Texas or that's a mouthful. So we just call it VIPSAT. And just last month, October 19th, we had on our state representative, I, I, I had him as a guest at our support group meeting and uh, he's visually impaired himself, our congressman. Um, you might have heard of him, Dan Crenshaw. Uh, I'm on the other side of the country, so honestly, okay. I, I, I was just, some people outside of Texas have heard of him because um, Pete Davidson on Saturday Night Live um, was m mocking him two years ago when he was running for Congress because he wears an eye patch. And come to find out oh, he's a Navy SEAL who was blinded after an IED blew up. Oh, his yeah. You know what? You know what? Ah, now, it's good now, now. See? Now that, okay. I, I don't remember it exactly, but I do vaguely uh -huh. remember along the way yes. some weird story about someone with an iPad. I do remember some weird and, story. Yeah. And, and he wound up going back on the show and getting back at Pete Davidson too. Um, they, 
um, interesting. And um, he's even written a book himself and mentions the SNL um, scenario in his book. Um, he's a in interesting man, but to me, that was a good thing to have him talking to my support group here. Um, you know, he's a, you know, Demio, uh, admirable man who served his country. He was actually blinded in both eyes and they saved his one eye, but he has a prosthetic under that eye patch. And I don't know if it's the only one he has, but he has a Captain America shield on his prosthetic eye. So um, I, I'm a fan. Um, I just like that, you know, he, he made sure we're, we're in his district, so it was important to him. But there was also the visually impaired connection. He connected with everybody else just like we did. We had to deal with vision loss. He dealt with vision loss as well. So that's an, uh, very, very interesting. I've interviewed uh, the blind history lady, and I'm sure she knows of that person. Hmm. Now, her next question. Do you know who the blind history lady is? No, I don't. Oh, well, well, now. <laughs> that's, so another another fascinating person for you to talk to in life would be the blind history lady. She knows. Mm -hmm. uh it's like a PhD level in the history of the blind is, is what it is. She knows nice. everything it's, and her content is really, um, well, she, she was on the podcast a couple months ago. I actually called her just, just the other day, inviting her back on to talk mm -hmm. about the topic this month, um, you know, veterans, you know, in, in, in blind history or something like that. She said, no, Aaron, I'm, I'm so busy and booked. You'll, we'll have to wait until the turn of the new year. So a lot of people want to talk to her. You should definitely Definitely we'll look, her, look her up. Definitely Google um, or later on if you're that if you're interested, I can try to find her okay. uh, website website for blind, but just maybe probably Google blind history lady. Um, absolutely fascinating person yeah. to talk to over a Zoom call. If you ever want to be fascinated and and inspired, definitely talk to her. She point being, sure. she would know who that congressman is for sure. I'm sure she would. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. Well, good. Um, any other, any other final, final questions? No. Um, uh, all I can say is we're at, in a crazy time of the year. Uh, it's been a crazy year period, but um, you know, all, we, we all need patience and understanding and um I think that serves us all well in life, regardless of what day of the year it is. Um, but particularly today, I think we all need a little more patience and understanding. So um, hopefully we can all find that right now. I agree. Could not agree more. I certainly look forward to having you introduce yourself to the other members of Aaron's Opinion. We have people from all the continents, all over the world. It's a huge Excellent. group now. Um, it's really, really inspirational that I've had people from all the continents except like Latin America and South America, but everywhere else. Um, every sort of background you can imagine. Um, but anyway, 
Ron, it was very good. It was very good, ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen get, to get to speak to the president of Haven, pronounced how anyone should say Haven, Houston Area Visually Impaired Network. I wish you, I wish you very good health. I wish the world very good health. It has been a very, very crazy year, but we're going to keep doing these recordings. Keep up with the Aaron's Opinion podcast. Hey, by the way, if you want to get in touch with me um, and ask questions, please email me, Opinion 6 at gmail.com. As I said, reach out on Twitter, Facebook, comment below on YouTube, or even consider becoming a patron on my Patreon page. I would appreciate the support, everybody. And um, until next time, as I say on Aaron's Opinion, Help one person today, help one million people tomorrow.